Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Ava Benasaki with me, and you can learn more about what her team is up to at CPICA. That's going to be a clickable link in the show notes, as always. But Ava, I really appreciate your time here today. Jack, I'm so excited to have a conversation with you. Thanks for having me on. We're going to be talking about some mindset and how the psychology of investors and a few other things here today. So I'm really looking forward to this, Ava. And frankly, I don't get a lot of people on the show to just talk about what I think is one of the most important aspects of real estate investing is mindset and psychology. So thanks for your time. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to diving into things. I got to start things off. You have been a long-term Canadian for third generation, I think you said. Third generation, yes. And you've been able to find some interesting, so you're a co-founder of CPI Capital, some interesting aspects regarding investing and providing some unbelievable returns on some of your investors. Can you, let's start things off by talking a little bit about that strategy and what your company focuses on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So our mandate at CPI Capital is really to partner with limited partners, passive investors, to acquire institutional multifamily assets in the Sun Belt state. So we go for already built, stabilized, and when I say institutional, 100 plus doors, and they are cash flowing from day one. And what my team does is we like to go in there, re- do renovate, lipstick renovations, nothing heavy, and really turn over the tenants, increase the income that the property is producing, which increases the value of the asset. And then we turn it over in three to five years. So look to get investors monthly distributions, and then we look to get them big paycheck on the back when we sell the property as well. But that's our strategy. We really focus on, we're very data-driven. We focus on regions that show significant job growth, population growth, income growth, and rent growth. Right now, we currently, I'm in Florida. We have a hyper-focus on the Florida market right now. We're really looking at the Jacksonville, Orlando, and Tampa area. And again, looking for those garden-style apartment communities that have that leasing office and that pool. And yeah, really everything right on site. I got to say, three to five years, that's a very aggressive schedule. It is. Yes, that's our business model. We're not those long-term hold investors. So can I ask, what are some of the primary things that you hit then? It sounds like you turn over the residents, increase the rates that you're charging, but is there anything else that you do? What's What are some of the top points regarding that lipstick renovation that you accomplish? For sure. Yeah, I can dive into that. Our business model is quite black and white. When I say lipstick renovations, we always purchase, I'll take a step back, we always purchase assets that are 90% more occupied. We really get started on that 10% that's not occupied and we go in there and we, when I say lipstick renovate, new flooring, paint, light fixtures, maybe add stainless steel appliances. The biggest value add is to add a washer and dryer to the unit so they're not, mm. or no longer having to use the community washer and dryer. We do all this and then we can usually do a rental at premium increase of 150 to $175 a month. And it's nice because we get to go to the current tenant living there in the property and say, hey, for a brand new renovated unit, would you like to move into to this new one? And in most cases, they say yes. And that's how we turn over the tenants. Now, oh, to- okay. 
Yeah, to put into perspective for you, it's such a, we call it the wealth, CPI Capital's wealth creation system because on a 200-unit property, if you're going to increase the rents by, let's say, $150 and you renovate all of these, you slowly turn over the tenants and renovate the units, in two years, you can increase the value of the asset by about $10 million. And that's just by increasing $150 per unit. So it's really substantial when it comes to this wealth creation. And that's called forced appreciation. So that's just one way to increase the value of the asset. We also purchase in, everybody hears of natural market appreciation as well, right? You always want to go buy real estate where the market is naturally appreciating. So we always target that as well. So we get both forced appreciation and then the natural market appreciation on top of things. That's an interesting strategy. I haven't run into anybody that actually has brought this up, is the concept of renovating a unit and then offering it to the existing residents in that building. So do you start the lease over again? Is it a new lease? I would imagine so. And then you're able to increase. What a great way to increase rents on the existing residents without. That's right, Jack. And another thing, too, is we purchase in regions that are very landlord friendly, very business friendly. So there's actually no rent control. So, for example, regions that have those growth metrics that I talked about, job growth, population growth, income growth, rent growth, really, it's like where are the Fortune 500 companies placing their headquarters, which is then creating jobs, which then people are, the population's growing because people, where jobs go, people follow. And then eventually what happens is the area just has that natural rent appreciation. And as we, when I say no rent control, as we renew the leases, we actually go up to the current market rent that's in the area. And that's really substantial for us as well. There's an interesting migration, which I'm sure we've all heard of, but millions of people are flocking from California and New York to go to these lower cost of living, sunny Sunbelt state, lower taxes, sunny, lower cost of living. So that's really what we're seeing right now. So these are really the, the areas that we're targeting. Yeah, that's really interesting. So let's, on the flip side, you have to talk to investors and raise some significant capital to make these this level of purchasing. Could we talk a little bit about the how you do that and the process that's associated with it? And there's like we mentioned when we kicked off the show, there's a lot of psychology uh, around this as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love talking about this because I'm more focused on the equity side of the business. When the team brings 20, 30 million, sometimes $40 million deal to the table, they say, okay, Ava, let's get the balls rolling here (laughs) and time to raise capital. It really starts with investor psychology. It starts with building this no trust with investors uh, from the very beginning. People always ask me, okay, Ava, how do you raise millions of dollars? But it's got to start somewhere. So how we do it is I did a speech on stage the other day, so I can go through my points that I did, but you have to be the greatest salesman without people knowing that you're selling them, right? Mm. But to do that, politicians do this. I always make a joke, great lovers do this. This is something where you got to really believe in the product that you're selling and then people can feel that from you. Another one is consistency. So to build the know and trust, what we do is we put out so much information out there, free information to bring value to people. And they end up in your funnel where they come into your CRM. But that's not where it stops. It's okay to build an investor list, but that's just the beginning of it all. You got to nurture these investors. You got to build trust with these investors. On these types of deals, minimum investment is $50,000. Average investment is $127,000. That's a big chunk of change for somebody. 
to cut you a check when they first meet you. They got to build trust within you. So I always say the nurture process is something that is most important. And what we do at CPI Capital is we send out weekly newsletters to our investor community that is educational. Warren Buffett says, never invest in a business that you don't understand. This is a way that we want to help investors understand the core concepts without digging too deep, because of course, busy professionals, lawyers, accountants, doctors, they don't have a whole lot of time to learn the real estate game. But on a high level, we want them to really understand what they're investing in. So we do the nurture process. And then high net worth investors, they really want to feel like they're part of something special. So these deals are private deals. They're not on the public markets. So being able to get their hands on these private deals that are offered privately to investors is a way for them to feel like they're got the inside scoop to something. But also what we do at CPI is invite them to private dinners, invite them to conferences that maybe they wouldn't have known about. Trying to make them feel special is a big aspect of it as well. Yeah, there's a couple of things there that is especially interesting. One of them is that making it that exclusivity, this kind of goes back to something on a much smaller scale, and I don't even want to do any kind of serious comparison, but it's on a simpler version. When we were doing any kind of significant wholesaling in my market, the deals that we uh, pushed to a small subset of our group before it was broadcast broadly yeah. Those were some of the, the quickest closes and the profitable compared to some of the, the, the more open, take the offer from a, on a bigger community. Right. So, That's right. So even on a small scale, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, absolutely. And then it goes with there's consistency and communication and all of these things play a really big part. You, you want to always be seen in front of the investors as well. So let them see you on, and you're really good at this. You said you had 500. I think you've recorded 500 podcasts so far. So you're right in front of the investors at all times, right? You're constantly marketing, giving them more information. They're learning from you. But they want to be able to see you everywhere. If they're on Facebook, they better be seeing you on Facebook. If you're on LinkedIn, make sure they're seeing you on LinkedIn. Instagram's the same thing. Make sure you're seen everywhere. So you're always top of mind for these people. And that's, yeah, that's the key. You also mentioned doing this newsletter and kind of fostering or continuing that relationship. I think what's important there is something that you mentioned is around the newsletter that you send out is educational and it's providing value instead of, frankly, I I think a lot of people get into the habit of just sending something out and it's spammy. Yes. So that's really good to hear too, regarding the educational piece and providing value instead of just hitting people for the sake of it. Yeah, definitely. My CIO, August Benias, he writes probably one of the most popular. He has, I think, 12,000 subscribers on LinkedIn. And then we also have our investor community. But it is, it's a quick read. It's probably maybe, let's say, tops five-minute read. We send it every Sunday at 3 a.m. EST. That way people can know, and it's consistent, right? So they can know when they're drinking their coffee on Sunday morning, that's going to be in their inbox. And again, five minutes. Um, and they can walk away learning something new. Sure. When you get you find that opportunity, you find that deal, what additional information are you sending out to everybody then regarding this exclusive opportunity? Is that something that is out of phase from your traditional newsletter? It are is. you being yeah. very selective with that? How does that look? Yeah. So when we find a deal, what we do is we invite our investor community 
to a live webinar. And on that webinar, I actually have the whole team that comes on and presents the deal. The acquisition director, the asset manager, myself, and my other two partners. And we essentially go through the return summary, the cash on cash returns. What is going to be their annualized average return? We go through our business model, exactly the that the wealth creation model that we're going to be doing on this particular asset, what renovations are we going to be doing? And then we really dive deep into the data and we show them why we love this region and then the submarket of where we purchase the asset. It's always live. So investors come on and they can ask questions right there, get their questions answered. And now these are syndications. The syndications, we do an LPGP structure. So my team's the GP, LP are the passive investors. And essentially, the pretty quick t- turnaround, it's, it's usually about 45 to 60 days where investors can read through all the legal documents. At that point, they can decide, hey, do I want to invest in this particular deal or not? And then once we're done the capital raise, the deal closes and then they wait around for the next deal. Okay. I, I would imagine it seems like you got this really dialed in. Are there and you touched on a few things that are presented dur- during the webinar. Are those strategic as well? Based on the psychology that you were referring to there again, you know what points to hit to make sure that to drive the necessary action? That's right. We do that. But we're very transparent. So we always actually go over the good and the bad. So we always, one thing for an example is break even sensitivity analysis, break even occupancy sensitivity analysis. We say, okay, what's the worst case scenario? So we don't just go, this is such a great deal. This is this and this is that. We prove our points there, but we do go over things that maybe they might not like so much. And then the worst case scenario, of course, in a multifamily building is if everybody moves out. So we always do the break-even sensitivity analysis, letting investors know, hey, if we get 60% or lower occupancy, that's where we just break even. So we go through those numbers as well, but it is all psychology as well. You don't want to just give good and not show any bad, because then you're looking like there's always going to be a couple of things that aren't so great about a deal as well. So we always want to be transparent and upfront with those types of things as well. And the cool part is after we close on a deal, communication is key. And this is how you can get more and more high net worth investors is referrals. When there's no better feeling than a referral. But when we, after we close on a deal, myself and my team, we put together a monthly email for the investors on that particular investment. And we go through where the occupancy is at, because that's an important number. We go through what renovations have been done. We go through, we actually send um, on-site photos of the community and the events that we put on every month for the people living there, because this is people's home. So we do nice things for people that are living in the community and we send it off to the investors. So they're getting an update, even though they're a passive investor, still getting that update. And then on a monthly basis, we're sending them a monthly distribution. So just as you were maybe a landlord, you're renting a property out, you're collecting your rent checks. As a passive investor, you're getting the same thing. It's just going right to your bank accounts on a monthly basis. So that's a pretty good feeling as well. And then on a quarterly basis, people, we get the investors that want to really dive deep into the numbers. We provide them with rent rolls and financials. Just to remind everybody, head over to cp.ca. That's going to be clickable in the show notes. If you found any value in what Ava's been talking about so far, do us a quick favor and share it with an investor friend. Ava, this is especially interesting. You mentioned the note and trust. I think a lot of us have heard those three words when it comes to marketing quite a bit. But the transparency you're talking about, and especially when you're raising that initial capital, you talked about communicating and even talking about the worst case scenario. I think a lot of people avoid that type of 
conversation with any of their investors. Was there a point in time where that light bulb came on that you decided this needed to be added to add that third leg to the stool? That's a really great question. We've actually always been like this from day one because you really want, I think it happened when I was watching other people present deals and I'm like, where's the other side here? When I figured out how it made me feel when I was going to make an investment into something. And I said, I don't want to make people feel that way. I want them to feel, I want to make them feel like we're showing them everything on a platter. So that's how we structured our way of communicating from from day one. Do you think a lot of people typically avoid that type of topic then? Is it that they're afraid they're going to scare somebody away? Because I see it like you do in the fact that I see it that it would actually build more trust than anything else. It would build more trust, but yeah, people are so scared that if they say something wrong, then their the investor is going to run away. And it actually works the opposite for them. It doesn't do them any favors. Anybody listening to this, always be totally upfront and transparent, and people will really appreciate that. And that will definitely help build trust a lot quicker. Have you found internally then, when it comes to communicating to all of your investors, whether it's existing and the newsletter? This is a lot of content that you're producing and your team is producing. And I have a, I've seen in other organizations a lack of prioritizing that type of content when everything else is going on. Have you found that difficult to prioritize and keep on track? You know why We are committed. <laughs> so we, we actually built out the systems and processes so we don't miss a Sunday. Right. Because we don't want somebody saying, hey, where's that newsletter? <laughs> I started sending out quarterly, quarterly, a quarterly report from the CEO. I sent it out to myself just to let people know, hey, where's what's happening in the market? What's happening in the capital markets? What's going on in the world? What are you what is the team up to? Are you guys looking at deals? Are you submitting LOIs? Are you placing offers? When's the next investment coming? So I've committed to that on a quarterly basis. And this this monthly basis is something, again, that we've committed to. And there's really great systems and processes that you can put in place, right? Where it makes it very streamlined. Trust me, at first, getting these systems and processes in place so you don't miss a Sunday or you don't miss that post on LinkedIn that needs to go out can be very difficult, but it it all goes so streamlined that it's just, it's not possible to miss that, to to miss that day. And then you relate to that as well with your podcast, right? You've got all your systems and processes perfectly aligned. So it's easier. People look at you and go, how the heck did you do 500 podcasts? You go, I have my systems and processes in place. Yeah. It's interesting too, that a lot of people see the marketing, I'm going to put that as part of the marketing as an expense versus an investment when it comes to the activities you're doing. And it is shocking. And I think a lot of people would be surprised by the, the activity that you're generating especially staying in front of and being proactive regarding the communications, how much that for the betterment impacts any kind of trouble down the road. Because if I've seen some people who are doing syndications, they take everybody's money and then not only upfront, they're not upfront about what can go bad, but keeping that communication channel open is, can be shocking how much, it reduces that that afterthought and ask the people asking questions and they start to worry what's going on. But though it really puts the investors at ease. We actually have a culture here at our company that if an investor reaches out, 
24 to 48 hours tops. You have to get back to them. There's no excuse. So I, that's a culture that we set in our company because if somebody's giving you $100,000 and they, they don't hear from you, imagine the anxiety that's going to give to them. So that's one thing. And then I wanted to actually touch base on something you said prior to that was about the marketing and people not wanting to invest. Jack, let's be honest. Most companies, it's 80% marketing. Whether you're a dentist, whether you're a syndicator, whether you're doing some sort of other business, if you're not seen and heard, how is your business going to grow? Yeah, it's interesting because I've actually have had similar conversations with people because we keep saying we're in the real estate investing business, but we actually are in the sales marketing business. That's yeah. really what we're doing. Yeah. That's that what most businesses are. So true. You couldn't, you couldn't be more right. So we've talked about, the, you're talking to a lot of high income earners in, when you're dealing with some of the projects. If you're talking about the projects that I think you're talking about, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars on a single deal in some cases. I'd be curious to know if there's any kind of decision-making that you find that are different compared to some other real estate investors on the smaller side. Is there any differences regarding their decision-making and that process versus what we might be typically used to? I will say, so our smallest deal we've done is $30 million, and then our largest deal is $92 million. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as the decision-making process, these are all busy professionals. They don't know much about real estate. They say it. <laughs> they firsthand say, listen, Ava, I want to invest in real estate, but I don't have the time. Nor do I really feel like learning about it. And listen, I'm busy with my own life. I got my career. I got my family. I got my own things going on. So when it comes to the decision-making process, again, it's just the thought of this alternative income stream that they can create for themselves passive investing, what's more exciting than passively investing in real estate and making these above average return? There's lots of communication going on and you don't have to get the loan. You don't have to deal with toilets and tenants. You don't have to deal with all this extra headache or calls in the middle of the night that's taken care of by, that's not their problem anymore. That's our problem. Um, or the property manager's problem, if you will, <laughs> in, the, in these large uh, institutional assets. Uh, but that's really what, that's really what excites them. Yeah, that's interesting in that regard. It's you're talking about, I, I would have to think then that some of the marketing, especially the education that you're sending out, if they're that busy and they frankly don't want to learn it, that's a tightrope. How deep you go into the marketing is probably impacted then. you Have you found that magic spot where it's the right balance? We have. We, what we do is we put out content for everybody. We put a content out there for everybody. So maybe there's an article. We, we always make the headers really beautiful and exciting and fun. Maybe there's a couple headers that they're like, eh, I'm not interested in that. That's more for an active investor. So we really try to target both passive and active investors. We do actually have a lot of active investors who are wanting to break into multifamily. Maybe they have their own real, small real estate portfolio. They're really wanting to do what we do, but they're just not there yet. But so they want to invest, learn the ropes as an LP, and then slowly work their way to a GP. So we try to hit both audiences by being very mindful of what we're marketing and the words we use in our marketing. So this, this has been a fantastic conversation, Ava. I'm, I'm sure we could have, I, I would love you to come back because it, it would be interesting to talk about starting this business and this type of structure from the very beginning and how you developed it to where it is today. There's got to be a, 
one heck of a story there. I do. It's a very interesting story. I would love to come back and share that with you and your audience. So one last time, check out cpicapital.ca. That link is going to be clickable in the show notes. Swipe right on your podcasting app and find that information. Before I let you go, Ava, I hope we can uh, close things out with some rapid fire questions. Let's go, Jack. I'm ready. So we're going to change things up, and this is going to be new to some of the listeners, but is there a lie that every real estate investor tells themselves and wants to believe? Yes, this is a good one. It's like the chicken or the egg. So every real estate investor, and trust me when I say this is not applied to everybody. Some people may have had love, but it's do I find the deal first or do I have to get the investors first? My belief, and this is how we build our company, is we found the investors first and then went after the deal. Because trust me when I say, when you find that deal first, you think it's the greatest deal ever. But if you haven't built that no trust, if you haven't built that investor community up, you're probably not going to have very much success in, in, in raising the equity needed to fund that beautiful deal that's probably an amazing deal. You're not probably not going to be able to close on it. So one lie is, let me find the deal and the equity will come. In most cases, I haven't seen that really be true. Yeah. In fact, I push the concept that you need to be working on your buyer's list, your investor list, as much as looking for an opportunity. I think there, there's this imbalance there that people don't take advantage of or don't focus on. We built up our investor community for one year before we closed on a very large deal so that we knew that we could fund the equity needed. Oh, so that, great. Yeah. That, that's a part of what you've been talking about, that whole know and trust. You pulling off that first deal is part of that that trusting again, that you're capable of doing it. And that's very interesting. That's very cool. Thanks, Jeff. Do you have a book recommendation or what are you reading right now? One of the best books is The Checklist Manifesto. It is such a good book because checklists are everything. I even have a checklist before I leave my door every day. Before I leave my house, sorry, I have a checklist that I go through every single day. I have a checklist before I go to sleep at night. I have a checklist while I'm doing business, I have a checklist for those newsletters we were talking about. We have a checklist for everything. And it just is, it, it, it's, it's literally the recipe for success. Well, interesting. That probably will lead to what tool can't you live without, personally or business? Asana. It's called cool. Asana. Have you heard of it? Yeah, we use it very extensively, actually. Okay. All my checklists are on Asana. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, so, Tool. So we have a few different properties and then depending on the property too, we also invite our contractors to that particular project within Asana. So we're all on the same page and we have yet to have a contractor who doesn't do it and just rolls with it. So it's, it's easy it's, to navigate, right? It's easy to navigate. It's easy to navigate. It's great to communicate everything. All of our discussion regarding anything is in Asana. It, everything is just right there. It, it works really well. Right on. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Get a coach. It would be like, get a coach. When we, we, when we started our firm, we built everything from the ground up. We built all the systems and processes. We did all these things, blood, sweat, and tears. We probably didn't have to go through all of that if we just would have had a coach. And this can be a coach in business or a coach in personal life. Even if you're a really successful person already, coaches are still amazing. So definitely get a coach. If I could go back in time, that would be the advice I'd give my younger self. Yeah. It's amazing how things are 
obvious things can be pointed out to you that you just didn't consider because you had the blinders on and you're just so focused. Absolutely. Or you think that, oh, I got this. This is you're a Mr. <laughs> Know-it-all. And you're like, I got this. I can build this. But no, definitely don't do that. Um, I always have this funny saying, I'm like, be the best copycatter. You know what I mean? Don't try to rebuild everything from the ground up. Look at somebody and a coach would be really good at that. They lead you in the right direction on how not to try to have to do everything by yourself. Yeah. I've used this analogy before, but I, I almost see it like great musicians. Wynton Marsalis, great jazz performer, yeah. improvises like you, you, you can't believe but he had to start with the scales and learn the structure before he can improvise to the level he does. How do we expect us to be great investors without knowing the basics first and, and getting those figured out? That's right. I like that. In under 60 seconds, can you give everybody a tip or trick they can implement today to have a direct impact on business or life? A direct impact today? Okay, a very quick tip is not to have limiting beliefs. Okay. Don't get scared by big numbers. Again, you don't have to, you don't, you're not alone in this. Get a coach. Don't have limiting beliefs. I'm a big mindset girl. And I know we were going to maybe touch on that today, but one of the biggest tips I can give my, to give people listening is manifestation. What do you want to achieve in life? What's your perfect day look like? Write it down and work your way on finding out how you're going to get there. We only have one life to live. We might as well make the most out of it. But definitely don't have limiting beliefs because a lot of people always tell me, oh, I'm never going to get there. Oh, I don't have what it takes. Oh, this or that. And it's really the story we tell ourselves that really puts a big, massive blockage on the life that we can live. And that's the biggest problem I'd say for most people is they don't believe that they can get there. Or they don't believe that they can live a certain life or they don't believe in themselves. Or I can't, no, I can't speak on stage or I can't speak on a podcast or I can't do a $92 million deal. Well, yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, you can. You just have to believe in yourself a little bit more so i i if you don't mind if you have time let's spend a little on this because when it comes to limiting beliefs we see this on our day-to-day -day lives most people will will get our nine-to-five job and slowly work up our pay rate might go up and increase but even if you're jumping positions or if you it's rare to see somebody take a step down We've gotten to that. We're in that new mindset. Our value has increased. And then we expect that going forward. Mm -hmm. But we we don't do that when it comes to something like investing or doing what you're talking about, those limiting beliefs where we just believe that we can achieve a, a certain thing. I also I point to I go to wholesaling again. Yeah. It's that that first opportunity to get a house under contract is always the hardest. The reason that's always the hardest is because you don't think it's possible. That's right. In the back of your mind, you don't think this is possible. And when it finally happens, the light goes on and the next one happens like almost immediately after. It was, you were the blockage up until that point. Until you see it actually happening and you believe it, that's when things start to click. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, it, again, it goes back to the story we tell ourselves. Down to the food we eat, the way we take care of our bodies the way we have relationships, it all is the story that we tell ourselves. And if we tell ourselves a positive story every day, like I'm going to close on my first wholesale or I'm going to do my first multifamily deal as a general partner, or I'm going to start investing as a passive investor and start creating passive income for my, my family. It's just about believing in it first. And then slowly the, the steps 
the actions and steps just start naturally happening, right? Because you're, you program yourself that way and you make it happen. But it starts with the story we tell ourselves. I've really impl implemented that in my life when it comes to, again, relationships, my health. My, and it's really fast-tracked me to happiness. It, it, it's also part of that you're the sum of the five people you hang out with. So uh, there's a lot of truth in that, too. That's an important one, Jack. <laughs> that's a whole nother talk. It there. goes back to maybe you should have a, a coach in your life that it can be one of those five. Yeah, definitely. Got to bring up the average sometimes. You got to bring up the average sometimes. And then once you get those five people, all the rest of the people kind of fade because you're so focused on this positive group and this positive mindset and uplifting attributes that each person brings. Um, and that's, again, where the universe is like, there's so much positivity pumping your way that everything else starts happening for you. Ava, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? Let's see here. Oh, yes. You should ask me where I'm living now. <laughs> where are you living now, Ava? I'm actually living in Naples, Florida. So I just made the big move from all the way from Canada to Florida. So we, we had our base in Canada as we were helping many Canadians invest across borders tax efficiently to get their hands on U.S. multifamily real estate. But now we've arrived. We're in the U.S. We're still going to help Canadians. And we've always helped Americans as well. But now we're actually boots on the ground here. It feels really good. And finally in the sun. <laughs> what part of Canada were you in? I was in Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. You understood the frigid. I'm near Fargo, North Dakota. Okay. So it, it, get, it can get cold. But besides the weather, has it been a big change? What was the mindset there to make you decide to take this level of action? It's a pretty big one, especially being third generation Canadian. That's right. That's right. You know what? Oh my gosh, Jack. Americans. I love my Canadians. Canadians are very conservative people. They're very, they are very conservative. They're very content. They're very, when it comes to business, they more so want to keep it to themselves. They don't really want to collaborate and partner and, and grow together. Americans, <laughs> it's like they have the most abundance mindset people I've ever met in my life. And I know this because of doing business in both Canada and the U.S. for years now, right? I know what it's like on both sides of the border. So it's always been a dream of mine to move to the U.S. And finally, that dream has come true because I've obviously wanted it to happen for so many years now. Not to mention, we do not buy any real estate in Canada anymore. We only buy assets in the U.S. But just the abundance mindset, there's just such an amazing abundance of everything here. And, and then, yeah, it, it rained 250 days in Vancouver out of the year it will the sunshine for 260 days in florida yeah that's Little, awesome he doesn't hurt anybody so ava this has been a great conversation i hope you will come back and we can talk about business development and how this has grown and i'll think they'll share the whole story again cpicapital.ca ava really appreciate your time here this week Thanks for having me on, Jack. I really appreciate you too. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.